I am gratified to see so many of you concerned enough to want to save their souls. I have walked abroad in your town today and talked to rather more of you than I wished, and I found it, and you, disappointingly filthy, not to mention distressingly northern. I know well the depths of depravity that this wretched ruin of a society can plumb, the persistent pestilential shadows of humanity that we can become if not stopped. I have seen it in your town and in this chapel today, but I am here to tell you that the current tidal surge of moral repugnance in your homes does not necessarily mean that even you, vacuums of goodness, cannot be saved from the fiery pits of hell. So, what about it? Are you willing to be found wanting when the end of days arrives? Will you be happy to continue languishing in this horrific existence when all the judgment rains down upon you? I am here to offer you another way, a life that would preserve your souls from the judgment. I present to you... Sweetville. What is it? It is a last chance to escape the judgment that will come for you all. A shining city on the hill. Yeah, you said that, but what's it made of? Gingerbread? Indeed it is, child. How would you make it shine like that if it's gingerbread? We varnish it in syrup. Oh, fancy. Any further questions before I ask you all to sign my large, leather-bound register of lost souls? I mean, willing volunteers? Is that a chocolate coating round those door frames? And licorice trees lining the drive? Where'd you get so many wine gums to make a stained glass window with? Are those lampposts just ice gems on sticks? Will we all end up as uh, jelly babies like in picture? Only the red ones. Oh, give over, love. We know your game. Game? What game? The whole town made a sweet scam. Heard it all before. Yeah, not two weeks ago, a Mr Cadbury called a public meeting here to propose we all move to his chocolatey village. Bourneville, said it were called. Sent him packing too. So off you go. We may be from t- north, but we ain't stupid. Hey, thank goodness that's over. Busy day, Jed. Hi, Jebediah. Trouble up to mill? Naturally, we're in Yorkshire. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Delete as appropriate. Hi, we're the Ucast, and welcome to this, which is episode 17 of our fifth season. And we're reviewing for your pleasure today, The Crimson Horror. 
Did you like my wobbly voice? Yes, it was very good. <laughs> the Crimson Horror. Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> Leroy Jenkins. Excellent. Yes, we're off to a flying start. We were all talking before the episode started and we realised that we were all tired or drunk when we watched this episode <laughs> and we can't remember as much as we would normally. And to top it off, our mighty memory maestro, Andrew Candish, is not here today. <laughs> it's okay. We are going to do a whole segment, which is uh, based on Andy's Symmetic Flappertron. And it goes like this. So we hope you enjoyed that special feature <laughs> brought to you by Three Quarters of the Udcast. I reckon it would be quite relaxing to listen to, actually. <laughs> With the flapping. Yeah, it'll yeah. be like listening like a, to whales. Like a pigeon stuck in a room. <laughs> don't, don't encourage him. This could be a whole new sideline for him that he hasn't thought of yet. I should introduce everyone, actually. Um, hi, my name is Chris Sigma, the returning Chris Sigma. I've been away for a week, but everyone held down the, sh- the ship, the good ship. <laughs> Don't say that. Cast. Return of the Sig. It, Return what? Return of the Sig. <laughs> oh, you nice. You knew that he'd be big. <laughs> that was my... <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Thank you. Um, I am back, and to my left is... The redoubtable Chris <laughs> Alpha. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Albeit a little bit tired. Excellent. And opposite me is my life partner, my beautiful muse, the wonderful Laura Sigma. All right. Ah, oh, fantastic. I was the one who was drunk when I watched the episode. Right, so this week, as I said, we are going to review The Crimson Horror, a slice of Victoriana from the pen of Mark Gatiss. Um, Who wants to start us off on this one? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Very well structured and very well layered. And I think the bits that could have taken ages, they actually just skipped over with the minimum of fuss, Uh, which makes a change for British TV (laughs) at the moment. Broadchurch. But also... um, I, I thought it had a really nice pace to it, and the ending made sense. Yep, well, Mark Gatiss is the master of horror. He has done, I think I've said before, a series for BBC Three, mm-hmm. um, BBC Four, in BBC fact, four, yeah. yes, called History of Horror, and you could really see that layer. This is seemed to be his... Uh, if Cold War was his take on classic Who, on sort of base under siege, this was Hammer Horror almost. And it was beautifully done and really well observed. And of course, the BBC do period drama so well. And when you just put a, the, it was steampunk, really, with all yes. the vacuum packed oh, citizens. Word I was to think of. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and I especially liked, and I think this is the bit you were talking about, Alf, where we got to see the entire backstory in a kind of sepia tinged, um, yes. mm, it was an end was of the pier cinema kind of light box weird thing. Mm-hmm. And they just did all those little jokes and skipped from plot point to plot point and just filled us all in. When I watched it, it was almost as if I was on some sort of mind-altering substance, which I you were technically <laughs> was. But there were just whole sections that seemed totally and utterly weird. Like, for example, the endy bit where there's something that happens on a staircase. It was like Batman with old people. No, honey, that was because you were drunk. He destroyed the first firing mechanism and then she very clearly said, "Aha, uh-huh, we have a second firing mechanism here. i tell you what I did like a lot about it. The crazy little spiky-handed kangaroo baby. Uh, Mr. Oh, yes. Sweet. Mr. Sweet. Mr. Yeah. Sweet. That was a bit weird, wasn't it? Hanging off her front like a third boob. He was more sort of suckling <laughs> upon her. With really sharp teeth. 
Yeah. And oh, I did like, was it, it was salt, wasn't it, that she spilled on the table and then threw over her shoulder and then fed to Mr. Sweet. I thought that was a very good. Oh, it was creepy. Twist. Very well, good. Yes, but also, how does she collect the venom that comes out of Mr. Sweet? Because I'm assuming that he sort of excretes it out his bottom or something like that. So she probably needs like a flap cut into her dresses with like a colostomy bag type thing coming off it that she can use to siphon off the venom. She was identified as the foremost biochemist of her time. So she obviously synthesized it after getting... Unless right. he was constantly pumping out enough to fill a massive vat. <laughs> walk, over to, walk over to the mirror like you have some kind of disgusting spot and just... <laughs> and and just collect it. Squeeze a Scrape bit Scrape it off the mirror and analyze it. Excuse Lovely. me, gentlemen. I just need to express. <laughs> <laughs> that is a nice way to milk a kangaroo baby alien. Mm. But so I guess one of the big things is this was almost a Dr. Light episode. Uh, we had yes. Rastra, Jenny and Strax carrying the weight of the episode for the first third, yes. maybe yes. more. In, in fact, for the first third or so, the Doctor was the monster. He was. Good and that idea, again was eh? hammer Great. horror, wasn't yeah, it? Very. All sort of stiff and not being able to walk properly and arms outstretched. The, the one thing I didn't really understand was... That cupboard that he got in and then put Clara in, how did that work? Well, the, the I mean, idea I'm prepared of, to believe it. but The <laughs> idea of the plan was that they were, going, they were being preserved until yeah, yeah. a point where she destroyed all of the filth of the earth. So there must have been some mechanism that allowed her to revive them. So presumably that uh, was that. And everyone's going yes, on about the magic sense. wand sonic screwdriver, but I think all he was doing was switching on the mechanism from the inside. Oh, intriguing. I just thought it was like some really, really super duper airing cupboard, except for instead of beautifully smelling towels, you get restored to health. I think I better do a bit of Andy now. Uh, He would probably go on about how brilliant Diana Rigg was. And I am prepared to do that. And I think with her being brilliant in Game of Thrones as well, she is having something of a career revival, isn't she? She's Hmm. storming it. Okay, this this is me being... Oh, 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 can can, can I point something out? Can I point something out? Did you notice, right, that... (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) Did you notice, right, that Dame Diana Rigg played the mother of her real-life daughter in the episode? Isn't that brilliant? And I thought she was brilliant too. The daughter... The daughter was absolutely off the hook awesome she was so frightening and so cool Mm. she was as good as your impression of andy was just then (laughs) he's not gonna thank me for it is he it's like in those parts where you know she's very legitimately coming at her mother screaming at her because she's basically tortured her into a life of, of blindness and she's so frightening but yet she's like avenging angel See what I did there? Avengers, avenging, Diana <laughs> I think Gatiss does this sort of stuff so well. I remember the Christmas episode of League of Gentlemen, which was a, a series of these really horrible, like, vampire choir boys and stuff like that. Mm. And, oh, he's so... He's just such a brilliant craftsman when it comes to this sort of story. And I love the bit where the daughter is revealed... You know, look at the fallen woman. There is a tiny little curtain that we've drawn round her so we can reveal her horror. And all that kind of that sermon was brilliant. The mm. fire and broomstone. He's the master of the macabre, one might say. He is. He's the chieftain of the creepy. The doyen of doom. Oh, very good. Thanks. He's the writer of weirdness. 
<laughs> no, no, we're just getting a bit mundane there. Silent isn't it? W as well. The other thing about Mark Gatiss is that occasionally he does end things in these mental chase type scenes with lots of spiraling and bell tower type devices, and he did the same thing here. It was a it was a resolution. They just they took the plague out of the rocket. Yeah. I mean that yeah. that it was nothing I weird did, about I did that. Like, uh, sorry, I did like the way that that re- itself resolved with uh, Strax being given the thing and him saying, "Oh, another one for the basement then," and, and walking off. <laughs> There's somewhere in London there is a, a lizard living with her wife and a potato man who have a collection of vile things in their basement. This Vi- vials of vile things. <laughs> I thought it looked a little bit like one of those jars that you used to see in the windows of old pharmacists or apothecaries, as they're known here in jolly old London. Well, they, they were. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the ones, big fat glass jars full of coloured liquids that you stick in the window to show that you're a proper pharmacist. Is that how it works? Yeah. I'm going to do that in the morning. You can do that, yeah. See how much business I get. And probably loads. <laughs> I really love the trio of Victorian detectives. I am always happy to spend time in their company. I think they are all ace. And I think it was nice that Jenny got to be the kind of lead investigator yes. in this one. Basically, any woman who can flick back around and beat seven shades of boutiquity out of a pilgrim. out of people is probably going to be called Jenny in the Doctor Who universe. Thank you for seeing me at such short notice. Not at all. I have read your letter with great interest. I cannot tell you how much I value your opinion on this matter. It is now three weeks since I have heard from my brother. As you can imagine, the whole family is becoming increasingly worried. Yes, I suppose you would. Very distressing. Can I offer you some tea? Oh, most kind, thank you. Some tea for Mr Cochrane, please, Jenny. So I must ask, have you had time to consider my request for help? I have. And have you reached a conclusion? I have. Are you able to help me? I would prefer to be honest with you, and for that, I'm going to have to lift my veil. Very well. There. Are you not shocked, sir? Not in the least. But many men, some even tougher than your good self, have fainted at the lifting of my veil. Please excuse my frankness, Madam Vastra, but it is just a veil. It hardly hides your face. Millie obscures it slightly from view. I could see that you are a lizard. Catching a fly with your tongue as I entered the room was a bit of a giveaway, too. I see. Thank you, Jenny. You are very friendly with your servants, aren't you? Jenny is no servant, sir. She is my wife. Your wife? Oh, not another one. Help me move him out into the street, would you? Feeble males. Sadly, we seem to be reaching this point where there is just one kind of scene for Strax. Where something needs to be done, he suggests three different ridiculously violent weapons that they're not going to use, and then they move on. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I know there are rumours that there's some kind of spin-off series with these guys um, being kind of well floating around at the moment. And I, I would like would to brilliant. see them all floating around. Maybe they all go to the moon. Oh, I thought you meant a hot air balloon. Oh no, that would be even better and more period specific. 
well, appropriate. Yes, that's true. Earlier, I saw somebody doing a trapeze hang glide. Where they were on a trapeze that was on a hang glider. I'd like to see them doing that. Isn't a hang glider basically a trapeze with wings? Yes, but it was longer underneath so they could do tricks and stuff. Oh, wow. I know. That but... sounds ridiculously dangerous. Yes, it is. <laughs> so in the final scene, Clara gets back home and she's confronted by her two wards, the little girl and the little boy, who've been online because clearly now there is no problem with the Wi-Fi anymore, thanks to Clara and the Doctor's valiant efforts. And they found pictures of Clara throughout history. Now, I suppose that that makes sense that you would Google your nanny because everybody Googles each other. That's true. To make sure that you don't have cats. That's right. Anyhow, but one of the things that popped up that just rang little um, alarm bells of what in my head... The alarm bells of what? It was originally the title of the first episode, but then they changed it for something else for some reason. Um, was that they had a picture of everybody on the submarine, which seems like a lovely memento. But who posted that picture? Who's taking pictures aboard a military-grade nuclear submarine during the Cold War and then posting them online? That would have been a good sketch if we'd have thought of it. I yeah. did think of it. Yes, then, then <laughs> I just nobody about wrote. it. Nobody wrote it. We were going to do one about sort of different military secrets being leaked. Something else that I liked was the person I'm going to call Mr. Fainty Man, who had the ability to faint in any given situation and just fall backwards like a plank of wood, which I think is an excellent skill to have if you're a bold, valiant-hearted, flash-heart style. Well, no, flash-heart is a coward, but a bold, valiant-hearted operator. He fell bonelessly. Which is a description that I read in a book today. He fell back bonelessly. It, I thought it was more bonefully, because he's very stiff, like a bone. You'd make an entirely different noise if you fell bonelessly as well, wouldn't It'd you? It'd be more like... <laughs> whereas I imagine him being more like... <laughs> Rutans, they fall back bonelessly. <laughs> I mean, it was a Gators episode, and therefore the comedic element was very strong. I particularly like the scene with the sonic screwdriver and the chair, and it got me wondering... What if a chair replaced the sonic screwdriver in other famous Doctor Who scenes? <laughs> the Oodcast What If Theatre presents What if the Doctor really did use a chair instead of a sonic screwdriver? Scene 1 The Sea Devils There's only one thing for it. We'll have to go through the minefield. We'll get blown up. No, don't worry. This chair I'm carrying converts into a rather good mine detector. Watch what happens when I throw it at the minefield. See? There was a mine where that chair blew up. But what are we going to do about all the other mines, Doctor? Oh, goodness gracious, Joe. Do I have to think of everything? Doctor, that creature is following us. Quick, throw charred bits of chair at it. That should see it off. They don't like chairs. Scene two. The empty child. <coughs> You're very sick. Dying, I should think. I just haven't been able to find the time. Are you a doctor? I have my moments. Have you examined any of them yet? No. Don't touch the flesh. Which one? Anyone. Hmm. I don't have any equipment to examine them with, so I'll just use this chair. Conclusions? Well, m massive head trauma. 
collapsed chest cavity and she's got bits of chair sticking out of her. Examine another. This is impossible. And another. Impossible, exactly the same, right down to the bits of chair. Physical injuries as plague. Plus you keep hitting them with chairs. Scene three, the forest of the dead. Why? Why would I give River Song this chair? What? Why would I do that? Thinking his future me had years to think about it. All those years to think of a way to save her. What he did was give her this chair. Why, why would I do that? Perhaps you wanted her to be comfortable when she died? Well, the chair doesn't have any other function, so I guess you must be right. Look at that, though. It's very comfy. I'm very good. But you didn't save her, did you? Nope. Another thing that I loved was the comedy moment where the Doctor is talking about what he's going to do with little parasite Mr. Sweet. How he's probably going to take him back to the prehistoric era and put him in a puddle somewhere so that, you know, he's out of harm's way. He technically wouldn't be out of harm's way because let's not forget that the Silurians were also plagued by similar problems, which probably originated from Mr. Sweet if he'd been taken back and placed in that area. But he's not because instantly... The lady leaps upon him with her cane and mashes him into tiny little pink butter on the floor. And that was really funny. Yes, it was. I mean, that is Saturday Night Entertainment, isn't it? Having a blind lady wailing on a small (laughs) pink squid sluggy thing. Leech. Leech is the word. That's what he was. That's exactly the right word. He wasn't a squid. He had no tentacles. No, no. He was a kangaroo baby leech. Why are the... Ca- I don't understand the kangaroo Have baby Have you never thing. seen a kangaroo baby? No. When a kangaroo is born, it looks exactly like Mr. Sweet, including it has little hook hands and it climbs out of its mother and it worms its way up her stomach. A kangaroo sort of leans backwards as if it's just chillaxing. It leans backwards on its tail or against a tree to give birth. So it crawls up the mother's stomach and into its pouch before... Its gestation is fully complete. And then it continues its gestation in the pouch, um, suckling on the teeth therein until it obtains all its fur. So when it is initially born, it looks like a tiny wee red worm, exactly like the creature in the episode. So you're saying the kangaroo has evolved that it has to sort of fight its way up its mother halfway through its gestation period. That's correct. That doesn't seem like a really good way to do pregnancy. (laughs) It's slightly easier to give birth to something the size of a cashew nut than it is a football. Good point. Mm, That's true. Mark Gatiss, I expect to see all of this in your next episode. Right, we've reached the edge of the city. Which way to the mill, Thomas Thomas? Ahead, turn right. Thomas, Thomas, that is clearly a narrow mud path, unsuitable for horse and cart. Do you have an alternative route? In 200 yards, go round the roundabout, fourth exit. Humans won't build roundabouts for almost half a century. There's nothing there. Turn around where possible. And then? Turn left. But that's the same narrow mud path I just told you we couldn't go down. Please update maps. I bought you a new map just this morning, you ungrateful cur. It cost me sixpence. This is an unknown road. Look, Thomas Thomas, when I said I'd transport you and your orphan friends to a new mill, I assumed you knew where that mill was located. I'm going to ask one of your other little friends. Siri, where do we go next? 
It's pronounced Cyril. How dare you speak back to me? Remind me to destroy you for your impertinence once we reach your destination. Okay, here's your reminder. Disarray a you of importance once we each pour Chestal nations. Have I got that right? I am this close to disintegrating all of you. Perhaps you could help, tiny human. Eh, by gum, you won't get anything out of her. She's always got her head in a book. It's because she's got access to a library of thousands of titles. Eee, book readers. Fine. How about that boy at the back who seems to be assembling irregular-shaped blocks into ordered lines? He doesn't have a name. We just call him Game Boy. It's like me. I don't have a name either, so everyone calls me Goo Girl. Why Goo Girl? Search me. I think we're lost. Hashtag just saying. Silence, you little twit. And you there, stop poking me from inside the cab or I'll begin shutting windows down. We don't want another crash. Perhaps I'll ask this friendly human female. You there! Yes, sir. What is your name? Anne, sir. Android. And what are you doing hanging around on this street corner? I'm freely available to everyone, sir. I'm open source. Yes, well, I'm sure you are. Come along, children. I think we should move quickly in this direction. Unexpected item in the backing area. I don't even know what that means. Excellent. So that was The Crimson Horror, another classic Mark Gatiss episode. What did you think, Laura, in a, in a sentence or two? Much like the gestation of the kangaroo, this was something that was a little bit creepy and it's hard to understand why things happened the way that they did. But ultimately it produced something that was very pleasing to all the senses and um, made you go, ooh, like that. I thought it was a very stylish and pretty well paced episode of New Who. I think it did some very clever things with narrative and it was tremendously creepy and had a brilliant sensual performance from Dame Diana Rick. I, I, I agree. Um, I, I, th- I thought it was just the right mix of kind of an action adventure Victorian story and a humorous uh, take on the hammer horror genre, I suppose. Uh, that's a really weird way of putting it, but still. So I've summed it all up in this week's haiku. The Crimson Horror. Utopian dream fails to launch, leaving mum and ancient leech red-faced. <laughs> red-faced, because the leech was red, and so yeah. was the, the corpses. They were all red too. But okay. also red face is a synonym for being embarrassed. I'm going to have to give up if you're going to understand this so quickly. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Well, thank you for joining us uh, this week. Uh, we hope you will come back next week when we review another new game and script. Last time I was so excited, my tiny little head exploded. This, And I was right to be excited, wasn't I? Because it was a brilliant because episode. Because it was absolutely amazing. And this one is also going to be amazing. I was so excited by watching the next week trailer thingy that I blanked it out from my mind. And see you next week. Bye. Toodlepip. Cheerio.
floating cannons. Some of them fall into a vat. Some of them turn to crimson. Nobody wants to die like that. Lies and poverty Who would believe 
Looking fantastic. <laughs>